The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This is a CW Spiral, a podcast run by two barchies and a bughead. We're your hosts, Sabrina Reed, Michael Patterson, and Reed Gowden. Bringing you history about the network, the latest news, and in-depth spoiler-filled discussions of some of our favorite shows on the CW. So, I'm excited for this podcast because it's going to be very DC-heavy. Like, not planned, but, I mean, news rolled in about Superman Legacy and our new Clark Kent slash Superman and our new Lois Lane. It's David Cornsweet and Rachel Brosnahan. Like, it's, which is the two frontrunners, like, everyone on the internet wanted both of them and we got them, so that's great. When all of those names came out, there were the two that kind of everyone kind of was behind. And, like, as someone who has watched David Cornsweet act before, like, guys, I sat in his office two or three years ago, watched The Politician on this very computer and was like, Clark Kent, when I seen him. I'm pretty sure they even had Ben Platt say in that show, you look like Superman to him. And the whole did internet, they? they did, they really did. Oh, I, I forgot that. that until I rewatched a clip earlier on. Um, uh, yeah, the whole internet completely agreed. And I feel like from that very moment, the fan favorite Superman casting was born. No one knew if it would ever happen, but like, look at us now all these years later. And to think it's finally happening. And I know Rachel Brosnahan is esteemed and adored as well. So I can't wait to see what she brings to Lois Lane either. So excited about this pairing. I am uncharacteristically, uncharacteristically so excited for this movie now. Like like Michael said, I, I've been down bad for David Corn Sweat since the, the politician. <laughs> and it's like, it goes even like beyond the fact that he is classically handsome, looks like Clark, Clark Kent. He's so talented. And... Oh my God, he's the best part in that show Hollywood on Netflix. And with anybody, I feel like sometimes I was the only one who watched it. I watched um, it. <laughs> it was he was so good at it. He was like the lead, and they buried that lead in the fact that he was the lead of the show. And he was so charming and look both ways with Lily Reinhardt. It's uh, it's amazing. Like this is a win for me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect to get very feral after the announcement i went on a deep dive because i had to update um a superman legacy post and i was like i'm catching a lot of feelings right now about this movie that's not coming out for another two years i need to like slow my pace but i freaking adore rachel brosnahan like when i was talking to you two about the, the i think mean, there were three other ladies who were up for no two other ladies who were up for the role and i was like i needed to be rachel because i need fast talking lois lane like she needs to be like witty, fast. Clark can barely keep up, and she's like on to the next one every time. We have had so many versions of Lois, but that's one of my favorite Loises. And I think all of the ones that we've had, kind of, they have moments where she's like that, but it's not all the way through. And if they do it all the way through, Rachel can do that. I mean, if you've ever seen the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Maisel perfection on Prime Video, and Ra- there's a reason why Rachel got that Golden Globe and that Emmy because. She is fantastic from the minute you meet Midge. And I just, I cannot wait until people see her truly let go as Lois Lane. Like, it's just going to be amazing. Now, look, I'm not going to lie. I've never seen Rachel act. I know who she is, obviously, because 
I'm somebody who consumes pop culture, regardless if I'm watching the things that people are in. But I'm so excited to get to know her. And like, I have a Prime Video subscription now, guys. So like, maybe I'm going to be watching. We have two years. (laughs) (laughs) I need to see what the material is going to give when we get to this movie. Yeah, I'm so excited about this on both ends because... Sabrina, you picked out Rachel as soon as we saw said those three Lois Lanes. Me and Reed were instantly like David when we saw the Superman like castings. Like this is aside from Superman and Lois, of course, because we love them very much. This is our dream Superman at Lois Lane casting. This is the spiral Superman at Lois Lane for the big screen. And I just couldn't be more excited about it because, like you guys said, they're both so talented from what they've been in. They're both adored. They were both on the fan favorite casting lists. And I've been following this industry for a long time. We've seen so many fan favorites make it so far, but then not get the role. I'm not sure we've ever been in a position where the fan favorite so long ago ultimately ended up getting the role, particularly in, with David Cornswell, because people have been put, putting him at number one, number two, number three picks for Clark Kent for years. The opportunity just never presented itself. So it's wild to think now all these years later, it's actually going to happen. These They, they, ne- they never work out like a straight line like this. And here we are. Um, I couldn't be more excited for this movie. I really couldn't. And like this time last week, it was kind of indifferent to another Superman movie and I really can't wait for it. Yeah, the superhero mm-hmm. ones never work out as far as the fan casting. I think the one at the top of my mind for our fan casting that they that had been around for years was um, Ben Barnes as Darkling. Uh, I mean, oh. what, that, 10 years of his career? <laughs> People were just like, if the shadow and bone books are ever made, Ben's got to do it. And I remember when he started aging out of the role, uh, people were like, it's not going to happen. They're like, there's a will and there's a way. And the way was Labor Dugo. It was like, I've been seeing the casting. I've casted him. I'm like, it's my books. They're doing it. I'm closely tied to the project. Ben's going to be in the picture. So now Darkling is not. And also like. I need Ben Barnes to drop the skincare routine because when I found out how old he is, which is not old at all, but I was like, what? So I'm like, who aged out? He didn't. (laughs) 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 But like beyond being excited for Superman Legacy, the movie, do you guys know how I I can't even just thinking about the press tour? I'm like, yes, feral. Like, right? I can't wait for the content, the interviews, the magazine covers, the funny videos of the two of them. I just, I can feel the chemistry. And they haven't even been photographed together yet. I'm so excited. Oh, especially because of the height difference. He's 6'4", she's 5'3". You know we're going to have, like, apple box jokes about, like, this, the things that they did. Like, how did they get you in frame, Rachel? And she's going to be like, well, it was a lot of work and three app cards. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys were just off the back of the flash where there was absolutely no press here for multiple reasons. But so, yeah, I really can't wait to see DC go full throttle on this and wheel the two of them out to everything, get them on talk shows, red carpets, everything, because this is an exciting new beginning for DC. And I feel like out of the gate so far, they've hit the ground running. Or should I say they've taken to the skies, up, up and away and all that jazz. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, thrilled. Thrilled. It doesn't even describe it. I do hope like with this casting that we get more on what the plot is going to be about. Because it is like the vaguest thing. They're like, oh, we're dealing with Superman who's already established. So it's not an origin story. And it's going to be all about truth, justice in the American way. And it's like, oh, okay, that's not a synopsis. What, <laughs> <laughs> what is it going to be about? Yeah. And then the fact we've lacked 
rumored to be in it as well. It does feel like maybe it's good to follow a traditional Superman story because Man of Steel tried something different that didn't really work for the Superman character. So maybe it's good to get things out of the way in the more traditional sense. I hope this is lighthearted. I know an interview from David has resurfaced recently where he said that he his dream role is Superman and that he loves what Henry Cavill did, but he's excited. he would love to bring a more triumphant and traditional and lighthearted Superman to the big screen. And it's been a long time since we've had that. We see how well it worked on Supergirl. We see how well it works on Superman at Lois. That is who Superman is inherently. So if we can get a movie that even covers half of that, I'd be happy, Bonnie. Yes. I, I mean, He's, sorry. Oh, go ahead. I'm just going to um, elaborate. Like, no one is more prepared for this job than him. Like, if you've watched any of his interviews, he's just the sweetest guy. Car <laughs> <laughs> <Clark> can't. <laughs> yes. yes. Oh, he's gonna. I'm sorry to Henry because Henry has content for Superman, and David does not. But David's number two for me right now, with of course Tyler <laughs> being like right at the top. Like I just, he's he's giving what I want Clark Kent to give, and I know people love Henry Cavill's turn as Clark Kent, and there is an audience for what was done in the DCU for his character. I am not that audience, though. Henry is lovely on screen, um, but I. Definitely going to be a part of David's audience. And I'm only already a big fan of Tyler Hagelin's turn as Clark Kent. So if if it's in the vein of that, except not giving dad because he won't be a father in the movie, I just cannot wait. I do think that with the two-year gap, there's going to be a lot of expectations. So I hope that it meets that. The actors will, but we need to see if the, the movie itself does. Yeah, this is definitely one of the most anticipated movies of the next decade. So I feel like it will have to live up to those expectations. But I mean, we do have people behind the scenes who are at least passionate about these characters and they've made some damn good casting choices already. So not to do another pun, the sky is the limit right here. <laughs> and with that, we should move to the season three finale of Superman and Lois, which was jaw-dropping, amazing, epic. Like, it's just... I couldn't even go to the Gotham Knights series finale. I had to turn the TV off because my mind was just processing what had just happened on our screen. It was one of the best finales I've ever seen on TV, period. I have no words for that. Like, what, what did we witness on television? The fact that they pulled this off on television and it was an unusually uh, structured finale and we'll get into all of that later. But like... They said we'd be left with an epic cliffhanger and well, that epic doesn't cover it because that was just out of this world. I'm going to stop with the puns now, I really am. Um, <laughs> but like, wild. Um, we predicted Doomsday might show up. I said that there were rumors, rumblings, which is pretty funny because when Bizarro showed up last season, we were like, is that Doomsday? Could it be Doomsday? But like, None of us could have predicted that kind of journey. I just, I'll, I'll gush about it when it comes to my turn later on. But like, what a finale. I have, I have no words. You know how much I like things like jaw dropping and stunning and words like that. Doesn't even cover it. I mean, speaking of jaw dropping, I think my mouth was agape for like the last 10 minutes. because I was like not <laughs> expecting anything that happened to happen. It was so good. It looked really good too. I know the budget was reserved really well mm -hmm. for the last yeah. sequence. And we had action that required like CGI and special effects for the season. But they were like, no, we need Sporadic. the top dollar. Yeah. They spread it out. <laughs> they spread it out because they absolutely needed to with how long yeah. that, se that, that 10 minute sequence is. Like just, and beautiful, it was, gorgeous. It was brutal, beautiful. 
I, I didn't know what was going to happen next. But the whole time I'm just like, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> and it just didn't stop. Because don't get me wrong, I knew you were running out of time in the finale. But when uh, Superman left a doomsday and then like threw him onto the construction thing and stabbed him through the middle, I was like, is that it? Like, no, that's not it. Surely not. And then when the beat kicked in and you heard the heartbeat and the song started and he looked up and very on the nose, but a genius choice. The first few lines of the song they chose was nothing seems to kill me, which you see as Doomsday <laughs> is coming back to life. <laughs> it's like genius choice there. Um, yeah, I, the, we, we've talked about how Doomsday has been a hard villain to get right for a lot of properties before. Smallville had an excellent design, but used him for all of one 60 seconds. He was not on screen for long enough. Um, and then Batman versus Superman had him out here looking like a giant CGI Ninja Turtle. That. <laughs> need to Google later. <laughs> <laughs> he, none of the spikes he's supposed to have. That was genius. And I'm not just talking about the CGI itself, which was, of course was out of this world. But I will say there were, obviously when you oh, the CW shows don't have a huge, 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 huge budget. So some of the other shows would sometimes have monsters like that show up in the daylight and it wouldn't work. The lighting choices here, the way they constantly had him in the dark, the way the fire from the barn shaded him, the way he was on the, t on the moon, which obviously was not as bright as you'd think. They did an incredible job in covering up for any slight animation weaknesses to make this monster look so realistic. That was movie level. It was genius. It was creative and it was just jaw dropping to the whole thing and when he was impaled on the the skyscraper mm -hmm. shook yes. <laughs> and it, like like story-wise though i also like the like juxtaposition parallel of the idea that superman can be monstrous like because mm -hmm. he, clark does that and i was like did clark just kill somebody like i know it's a, he's a monster at this point but he killed somebody and then everybody else no, no one backs up from Superman scared like that unless they're on the receiving end of his violence because he's he's helping people. And so seeing them be that shook about what Superman just did and not knowing how to react to it. And I'm like, well, I mean, he is a giant monster. I mean, like he was like, I, I understand the method. I'm on your and side, then, Clark. I'm on your side. <laughs> right? But they were backing up. And then I was like, then there's this great pause. They, they did it excellent with pacing in that scene because you do have to sit with, Clark just killed someone. And then, like you said, the beat comes in and Doomsday just shimmies his way on up from being impaled. And then just is just floating there. Like, yeah, I'm not dead. Never. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact then that Clark went up to stop him, but he was caught midair by Doomsday, who was flying downwards and then took him underground. It really, they didn't have an awful lot of time to work with, but they did an incredible job of laying in the gravity. Anyone who's read Superman comics knows that, yes, Lex Luthor is his arch enemy, but Doomsday is his mortal enemy. He was literally a Kryptonian beast designed to kill Superman. He cannot die. And in the comics, Doomsday has killed Superman before. I'm pretty sure it was the, the story that death of superman was about doomsday killing him so there is just there's no way of describing how much gravity the show needed to put behind a villain like that and they had a lot of them what 10 minutes and yet somehow in that 10 minutes they managed to make it sink in whether it was the moment when doomsday and clark landed in smallville and john henry and jordan and of course everyone else went to run over but there is allies in the field they meant to run over and clark was like no don't 
he didn't say anything else. He just said, don't. And then had that moment with Lois that you really felt like Superman not going to get out of this one alive because we knew they were going to end with a cliffhanger. Thankfully, we know there's a fourth season. But could you have imagined watching that thinking, oh, no, he's going to die. He's going to die and then not have any any to follow up. Thankfully, he did come back to life, but he took one hell of a beating. And I think the show really did a great job of highlighting the doomsday was not to be trifled with. Okay, so we've reached the portion of the review where I have to ask questions for clarification. Of course. In canon. Um, so Lex, just from my understanding, created Doomsday. Yes. So is Doomsday's origin story always that he started out as Bizarro? Mm-mm. No. So this is and, a new new situation? Yeah, in the comics, okay. they're two completely different characters, which is why when Bizarro first showed, showed up in that big like suit last season, everyone was like, is this Doomsday? And then it was only when you saw Tyler's face, they were like, they're doing Bizarro. Did not think that one year later, we'd be like, Bizarro's becoming Doomsday. It just, that was a unique interpretation. I do believe, like in Batman versus Superman, the movie, uh, Lex also is response has a hand in creating Doomsday out of Kryptonian uh, Kryptonian technology, and this is a similar kind of thing. So the lore is different depending on what adaptation it is. But yeah, Doomsday and Bizarro were two completely different characters. So the fact they had the morph into one here, nobody saw that coming. It was just insane. But because uh, sex tapes, I'm so sure, like anyone around my house was like, is she okay? Because as soon as the, the cassette tape came up, I was like screaming. I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> like, like this was happening. There was a lot of bouncing. Like, uh, because it's just, I mean, it's they do so great with characterizations. It's like a small thing. But seeing that whole, he had, what was it? It was a bag full of cassette tapes ordered. You know, I was like, yeah. what do we have here? I want to pause uh-huh. and look because I I collect cassette tapes for no reason. But I was like, oh, what do you got? <laughs> oh, okay. And he selected one and we went and he's like, let me kill you. And I was like, this is very dark, Lex. But it also fits this music. Bizarre, don't let him kill you. But I guess it's, I mean, he was chained up. He didn't really have a choice. But like the intensity of that, I'm going to keep shooting you with these things. I'm going to keep killing you because of that. The more I kill you, the stronger you get. And the intimacy of being like, I will be your creator. I will be the one who makes you powerful. I was like, this how we, This is a lot of story in two minutes and they're executing it really well with very little dialogue, but a mm-hmm. lot of emotion. And, and the soundtrack realize, was doing a lot. I, I didn't realize you just said that this is giving Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> very true, <laughs> very true. And you're right, it was almost like a, a romanticized kind of bond and that I'm here for you in the way that nobody else can be. They were very close in each other's face. And considering we're talking about Lex Luthor, who doesn't like anything alien related, the fact that he was willing to create this monster just to stop Superman was just, I mean, perfectly in character for him, but very powerful moment. And the fact is, Bizarro really... I don't, we don't know if Bizarro is really like, if he's still in there. All we were looking at was a zombified husk that ate rats and apparently people's ears and cows. Um, yeah, exactly. And um, so we don't. Towels? Cows. cows. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, missed the towel eating portion of the episode. <laughs> Remember, they brought the cow into the train car. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, is, is Bizarro still there? Is it just a zombified husk? Because even when, when we did see Doomsday in the end, Superman was like, what has he done to you? Like he recognized, I have to say, that was unique on the show. The fact that you still had the back to front S on the, on, on sort of seared into his skin because it, obviously all the damage he took, that was incredible because Doomsday doesn't usually have that. Um, but uh, the fact is Bizarro could not, or Bizarro came back from every death. So that's how that's how he made Doomsday the ultimate killing machine. 
I'm surprised you didn't think of stabbing him because obviously that's what Clark ended up doing on the building. But like when uh, that's that's the way to make Doomsday unstoppable. You kill him that way and he can't die that way again. So that's what Lex did. He killed him every potential, every possible way. That's why when he drowned, tried drowning him as well. That's why when Doomsday took Clark into the water, you saw Clark struggling for oxygen, but Doomsday wasn't struggling for oxygen because he'd already been killed that way. So he couldn't be killed again. Now that Clark stabbed him through the building, he can't be killed that way again either. This beast is unstoppable. Yes, Clark can still go toe-to-toe with him, but he can't subdue him, which is why I think it's incredibly terrifying because we know the Superman has a family. We know that once he finishes his day at work, he goes back home. If you can't do that with an enemy, when does it all end? Because Superman can be killed. It just takes a beast like Doomsday to do it. So I thought ending on that scene, like I said, they had 10 minutes to do that and they pulled it off dramatically well. Incredible. Is fire in play? Can we burn Bizarro, or not Bizarro, Doomsday? Um, I mean, Bizarro works too. It's Bizarro Doom, Super Doom. <laughs> what do we call him? Um, uh, I mean, like the fact We're just spitballing here. Come on, Clark. I think we can, we we can come up with something. <laughs> I think um, in other adaptations, we've shown that Doomsday can be killed with kryptonite, or we have to bury him so far under the earth that he just can't crawl back out. Um, he's kind of unstoppable. I don't um, trust the burying him alive thing. Yeah, mm. he'd get out someday. Um, Superman might be long gone at that stage, but he'd get out someday. Um, but like. We could have thrown them into the sun. They were in space after all. We know how sun regenerates Superman. <laughs> so, like, do, do, does sun regenerate Doomsday because he's Kryptonian? Wait, if he's if he's Bizarro, then it's the opposite of Clark. Because you know the way it was an XK was Bizarro's weakness. He didn't breathe ice. He breathed fire, which is why Doomsday Doomsday was breathing fire. So, like, I assume XK would still work to kill him if that was Bizarro's weakness. Okay, yeah. so I think you might have just figured out season four premieres <laughs> way of getting rid of Doomsday. <laughs> but, you know, it works. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's an amazing way to end a season, though. Very happy that it wasn't a cliffhanger, but I would have kind of been okay because, I mean, this is Superman, so he, I would figure he'd be able to go back to his family, even if someone had to just make a 200,000 word fan fiction so everyone would be completely satisfied. But, like, I just, it was so good. And I think part of that is because first half of the episode is just straight up happiness. It's all joy. Some of it's not earned, but there's like a lot of, there's a lot of joy in the beginning of the episode. And I just really miss Bitsy to luck. I know we say this every season, but it'll be a crime if she does not get an Emmy for her work on this, on in season three. It was phenomenal. I mean, I mean, my goodness, I, I know there's like a lot of controversy around the cancer plotline because a lot of people did not want to see Lois Lane get cancer. And not only just because, you know, that's Lois Lane and you want to be able to see her going through cases and, and being very present in the more action part of the plots, but also because cancer sucks the air out of the room and a plot. It has to, by its nature. Anytime you have an extreme sickness, like there's a disease in the storyline, there's just no way to realistically depict what someone goes through but only do it like half do it every time someone half does it you get dragged yeah and it's considered to be disrespectful so they leaned into it but i felt like they leaned into it in a way in which it wasn't all episode for her like yes she was sick yes we had opening sequences and which were really hard to watch but the episode would go on and she may be sick but she's contributing to the plot or she may be sick but we're having a very deep conversation about what it means to be the person with the, with the cancer diagnosis or to be a family member watching your your loved one go through cancer 
so I thought it was really well done. I think we all have different opinions on that or um, different perspectives when it comes to what they wanted to see on screen. But at the end of the day, to me, however you feel about the writing of it, Bitsy acted her mind off. And she did that in this finale too. Yeah. Where I approach approach storylines like this, like, did I want to see this happen to her? No. But, and this isn't just specific to the show or the season, but when there's a show that I like and I'm watching and there's a storyline that I may not have wanted to happen i'm like okay don't not fully on board but i'm like okay i'm gonna why is this happening why is this important why are they choosing to do this and it can be hard to reflect on that and to come at it in that way because it's so easy to just be like eh, whatever um but when it's something as important as this one and you're like oh man why are they doing this to her and at times when i was kind of because it was a lot to watch when you get to those points in the season where you're like, oh, it's just heartbreaking. I'm like, okay, why are we doing this? Why is this important for Lois? And I'm not going to answer any of those questions, but that was just something I, I reflected on a lot this season. Instead of just being or expressing any kind of negativity around it, because it's important for somebody watching. So it may not be for me, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and to further that point, um, I grew up watching a lot of British shops which work with um, agencies to highlight storylines like this, to raise awareness for storylines like this. Um, I'm not unfamiliar with storylines like this because they're constantly on television um, when I was younger and they still are to this day. And I think the, re- the reason that they're always done is to raise awareness for what people are going through. And I think Superman at Lois wanted to do that with Lois um, battling this form of cancer. Um, and you can see from the response online, of course, it's going to get like a divisive response from people who don't want to see your favorite characters go through this or from people who thought it was too close to home. But there has been an outpouring of uh, a love and appreciation from people who feel seen who are going through this. And I think that's important. I, 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 we've seen before the television can be more powerful. It can create more change than politicians. And I do think it's important to tell everybody's story. So to see a character like Lois Lane go through something like this, it will make people feel seen. And I don't think it was done to highlight that she was feeling weaker, that she was feeling ill. I think it was shown done to show show her inner strength and how she got over it and how she got through it and de- how her family dealt with it. And I think that's an important thing to remember. This storyline wasn't done to put Lois down or put Lois in her place. It was to show us her strength and to make other people who appreciate Lois feel seen. And I think between the, the writing, the way the sensitive way it was handled, the way it also impacted her family and the writing around that, and of course, at the heart of it, Bitsy Tullock's performance, I thought they did a bang-up job of it. And I just, I don't want to see it dragged for the wrong reasons. It, of course, it, it's going to be too much for people, and I completely respect that. But it, it, it raised awareness about something that maybe a lot of people aren't aware of and don't talk about enough. I did want to appreciate that before the season's finished and we finished discussing it. And for, I think it's important too, for a show like this, a superhero show that's grounded in so much reality beyond the superhero stuff. Like it's an important thing for their family. And it reminded me a lot of the show Parenthood in the spoiler, if anybody hasn't watched this show, but it's been off the air for almost 10 years. So (laughs) I feel like the statute of limitations is up, but in season four, when Christina got breast cancer, in the scene, I'm going on a tangent here, but I have a point, I think. The scene where she tells her entire extended family what she's going through, 
was an important moment for a show that's about family. And I think it's similar here. Like it was as equally well done and well acted. Monica Potter was amazing in parenthood during the, her character's breast cancer storyline. And I, I would never have expected to see that kind of storyline handled in the way that it was in a superhero show. Mm-hmm. And I do not get to put it. down superhero shows, but it's just yeah. you know not what I'm expecting. <laughs> well, yeah, because generally, you know, they are about the ability to be an active hero. Like you are someone who is um, who is combating a villain, and that villain typically, you know, has a form. Like it's it's mm-hmm. not something that is happening inside of you that you don't really have a control over defeating outside of like the medical practices that are available to you at this moment. So I get why it's hard, uh, especially for some people where the show or any superhero drama is escapism. Um, But for me, I felt like they did something that they haven't done with the other real world conditions that people go through in the show, which is they actually talked about it. Like Mm -hmm. we have, there are very heavy things happening with the other characters that they never actually explored that much. Like we know Sarah committed, attempted suicide. It's a plot point in season one. She's arguing about it with her parents. It came up in season three again because Lana was concerned that she was going to be in a dark place again. But we've never actually had an extended exploration of mental health with her. Same with Jordan. You have that opening sequence in the premiere of, like the series premiere of Superman and Lois explaining the emotional difference between Jonathan and Jordan. And then it disappears. So like in, in this case, this is like the only time in which you they really sat with the ways in which we are dealing with heavy things throughout life. And that mm-hmm. it, it makes you think about your mortality. It makes you think about the things that you wanted to achieve. It also, you know, opens you up in a way to conversations and people that you never had before. So I just I appreciated though that in the in this the finale the season three finale that Lois having gone through all of that having gone through her double mastectomy and had some body issues because of it beforehand and then afterwards when she had to learn to accept where she is in her body now for her to be happy through like a consistently happy like not just through having a, a converse a loving conversation with those in her life but the entire way through with exception to when um Clark landed with Doomsday but the majority of the t- entire way through she's happy like she's she's just she's back at it at that the smallville gazette um RIP to the judge sorry about you but like Lois went to Metropolis like we left Smallville she hadn't done that all season and we, Italy they took a in Italy? Day. Mm-hmm. yeah right? that scene that scene was really powerful to me because uh Lois was being really vulnerable like mm-hmm. she was scared to to I don't how do I want to word this I'll just leave it she was scared to be vulnerable even though that's her husband and the way that he looked her in the eyes for like 98 percent of the time I don't have words. I'm without words. <laughs> right? There's so there is so much love in Clark and Lois's relationship that was apparent in the previous seasons, but was truly like um, highlighted in this season. And that like that culminating full circle moment between them that like is akin to the season three premiere, and then them being in that same place, uh, like getting back to that same place emotionally. I was like, okay, work, do it, because it was just. 
it was beautiful. I thinking about it kind of makes me cry. <laughs> like I just get like a little misty about it because I think that is something that people do need to see. You know, like the, that the ways in which um, illness can affect how you see yourself and affect your relationship, but to also have like representation of that relationship still being strong and having a bond and um, being able to be vulnerable as the person who was ill and being also to be to be vulnerable as the person who has to see your loved one struggling like that and to get to a place where you know you want to be intimate with each other again that you want to have that connection I just I don't who else is doing it like Lois I just I don't really know I don't think there is anybody right now doing it like them I just they are I know I say this like every time they have a good scene but they are honestly relationship goals like it is just like they are the representation of love. I know Barry is the love paragon, but I think we might have changed that if, if Clark and Lois were actually in the Arrowverse. Yeah, it's just incredible. Like I, one of the, without that, Clark Kent and Lois Lane is one of the greatest couples in comic book movie history. But this representation of them might be the best portrayal we've ever seen. Um, Tyler and Bitsy's chemistry is just incredible. Um, that scene was so beautiful. Um, the love between them you can just feel in a few short seconds and of course it was such a powerful moment for Lois and one thing I did really appreciate about the, the finale was that it kind of felt like a premiere you know the way in the premiere everybody's still giddy and happy went off coming off the back of summer or whatever it was that made them take the break in the story first we saw that even in this season premiere everybody was kind of in a good place we got to see all of that again Clark and Lois were ready for a holiday in it, like with the family. And um, they had that hilarious scene where uh, the boys were like, how do you know about Tal's Villa in Italy? And they're like, <laughs> from the lawyers, the DOD, the lawyers at the DOD. That was just hilarious. Like they'd be caught out. I love seeing everyone happy. And it was, it's such a weird feeling to see it at the start of a finale. Cause you're like, oh no, where are we, where are we going here? And of course we did get there in the end. But like they did such a good job with that that I would have watched that finale with Clark and I was being happy for 40 minutes and not been disappointed. Uh, don't get me wrong. You know, I was raving about Doomsday, but like 40 minutes of them being happy would have been a, a, lo- a lovely uh, culmination of the season. And what we got was a strong culmination as well, because they deserved those moments to be happy. And it was just so nice to watch. Mm-hmm. This was a, a small detail, but I took note of it. He didn't have his glasses on when they were in Italy. Yeah. No. Isn't that lovely? <laughs> yeah, no. Like the choice there, I don't know how to like describe the choice, you know, like why I feel like there's, I know the reason why they did that, but I don't know how to put that into words other than to connect back to vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Wait, okay. I'm going to ask another question. <laughs> I didn't consider to know. Does he actually, does Clark need the glasses or are they just like a disguise? They're just Do we disguise. Know Oh, no prescription. Twenty. I, I figured Superman uh, was twenty twenty. Um, uh, I don't think Born it's ever. LASIK. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's ever explained. I think uh, in Supergirl they tried to explain it away that the reason they gave her the glasses was to prevent her X ray vision from kicking in all the time, so it was like laced with something so that she could be human when she was wearing them. And then so, so whenever she does the X ray vision, she goes like that. And um, you see Clark doing that from time to time as well, but they never really explained whether he benefits from powers in the glasses whether it dampens his powers or anything but i don't think it is you see him speeding off with the glasses on all the time he runs off here there and everywhere i think it's just for a disguise and i know in 2023 it's not really a disguise you're not telling me that the smartest man in the world lex luther looks at clark kent and is like he looks completely different from superman you're but familiar can't put my friend <laughs> 
he did, like this this card doesn't even change his hairstyle because obviously the more traditional Superman had the wee S uh, drop, but the wee curl. But um, oh, yeah. I'm, David's gonna have that curl. He is gonna have it. There is that shot of him from the politician in the dressing gown, and it's right there. He's, mm. uh, I can't wait to see that. <laughs> I think okay. So after all the praise, I do want. Yeah, to, I was going to say, can we start complaining? <laughs> yes, but before we before we get to how much of a mess the supporting cast storylines were, um, I do want to say I do have a qualm about the cancer plot. That it's very um, no, there's no way to put that delicately. It does. It, she's surrounded by men in a storyline in which she has breast cancer, and they didn't actually like to put. They didn't have her around the women, which are to me all season. I know I didn't really talk about it in um in our reviews, but uh I did not like that. That she has Pia and she has the lady whose name I do not remember. Who was did we ever actually get her name? I don't um, know if they gave her name. Okay. But she there are a, a decent amount of women on Superman and Lomas, and the only person who actually actively act, um, had a scene with her about her her cancer in a way that was significant and helped Lois open up was Lana all season. Mm-hmm. And I think that was not how they should have handled that. I mean, yes, very powerful that she's with her family and they're going through it, but they're all predominantly men, which means that all of season, the only time that Lois gets to talk about her body and how this is making her feel and how it's changing. She's like disassociating from it, basically, is with Lana. And I felt like Chrissy and her and Clo- were, Chrissy and her were close enough to be able to talk about that. But Chrissy was busy with you know, feeling miserable in a relationship with Kyle. Uh, the Natalie, they gave nothing besides that one moment. Um, well, that one episode where like John Henry doesn't want her to give her um, this Earth's Lois her mom's watch and I felt that wasn't handled well at all in terms of their interactions his anger and wanting to step back made sense but they didn't actually give it any nuance to explain that he didn't want to be around Lois because he already lost his wife and though he knows it's not his wife she looks exactly like him and it's like it would trigger grief again so he was staying away but like Natalie wasn't around that much when Lois was going through cancer what is that like what is that mm-hmm. and then like Sarah isn't around that much trying to help like all they did was well, have Jordan and Sarah be combative. Let like, me not speak on Sarah. On Sarah. Like, I <laughs> yes, let it. me not speak her name. <laughs> or at least have, like, if she didn't have scenes with Lois just checking on, on Miss, checking out Miss Kent, <laughs> like, Miss, well, actually, she'd say Lane, wouldn't she? In any case, the, um, she would have, should have been there for Natalie. With it, Natalie and Sarah should have had scenes that were not about boys. Uh, mm-hmm. So that they could they could talk about Lois. It's an interesting <clears throat> point because I was reflecting on the other parts of the finale, and I realized that, and this is an observation. I don't really have an a, a strong opinion that I'm going to share. I'm just going to share an observation that Lana's story in the finale was reacting to her ex husband. Oh, very much so. Yes, let's get into that. And and then. The other half of her story was also dealing with a man when her story about the mayor was so prominent for the season. And maybe there were threads of that in there that I'm just forgetting. I will cop up to having a bad memory. But like the two big things Lana was up to in this finale were uh, personal romantic things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, I want to go hone in on that point. I have said one of my biggest gripes this season has been that the mayor of the town is reacting to everything that's going on around her and she's not really having any storylines of her own. Uh, you go back to the first episode, of course, she reacts to the potentially good news that Lois might be pregnant. The second episode, she reacts, her and John Henry react to the fact that they're attacked by Onomatopoeia. Even the most recent episode, she reacts to Sarah's revelation about Jordan and is like, that is not on. And she reacts to the town being damaged we haven't got to see her actively involved in any kind of storyline of her own. Of course, she also reacted to Kyle and Chris. I, I really want it more for her this season um, because the show doesn't treat her as one of the Cushings or the town mayor. You saw how important it was to Clark to reveal a secret to her and her alone last season. Lana Lang is a big part of the Superman lore. I feel like she spent all season kind of reacting. And of course, she, she did the exact same thing in the finale with reacting to Kyle's news and then reacting to John Henry's news. And then, of course, reacting to Kyle's random proposal at the end. I have information that can lead to the arrest of Kyle Cushing. And that <laughs> information is that I'm fed up. <laughs> I mean, it like, is, it's generally a mess. That, yeah. this, the scene, I want to say first, second act, where Kyle comes to Lana and reveals the pregnancy. It had to be second act, because first act was them, mm -hmm. Chrissy waking up and being in bed and that whole scene that I tuned out of and found out on Twitter that she's pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the scene where it's the Cushing family was a full episode. It, there was so much to unpack between reactions, the information that was announced, Kyle's means of sharing this information with the three women in his life who prior to the season had been the most important to him. Um, I don't, it was a lot to untangle and I'm still like untangling who reacted in what way. And if that tracks <laughs> one, one person in particular, I was surprised at and she never ceases to, you know, throw me with how she moves through this series. And I shall not name unless you guys want to say it for me. <laughs> Cause oh. I feel like I'm dragging her to the uh, up and down this podcast. And I, I feel bad. Oh, well, I have to say it, Sarah. Lover, yeah. rebel yeah. girl reaction did not fit. It felt very much like the plot coming into play in that character when it came to how that was all handled with the Cushings, because very much the theme of the beginning part of the episode is joy. So we cannot have the Cushings upset, even though it would make sense for the Cushings to be scene, upset. The the subject of that scene was on Lana, so it wouldn't make sense for Sarah to feel some type of way about it because they mm -hmm. needed Lana to feel some type of way about it. So Sarah being like giddy excited about it was like, you've flown off the handle about things smaller than this. Mm -hmm. I have questions. And also her, <laughs> shush her shushing her little sister made me feel vindicated that last week I said she doesn't care about yeah. her sister. <laughs> it's literally going to bring that up, right? Um, I like, felt bad after because I was like, I, I'm really on her neck all the time. But I'm like, in that moment, I was like, you're giving me receipts like i <laughs> i just said i wasn't gonna drag her and here i am <laughs> <laughs> but like what have we learned about sarah this season nothing um, <laughs> um, she didn't come after superman like i predicted she would but she spent all season coming after people and yeah maybe it's maybe it's a, a a full circle moment that she didn't really in the finale but we've seen no character work to suggest that she got to this point on her own um she 
uh, was not ha- friendly to Chrissy. And that's a fine. They didn't need to be best friends. But of course, she escalated things and dragged Chrissy, was angry at Chrissy, put the blame on Chrissy, even though Kyle obviously consensually entered into a relationship with her. Now, um, wait, to that point, have they done anything after they went to the movies? None together? Whatsoever. They haven't shared a single so they scene. Just, like, that was like, we did that. They went to the movies. Everything's fine. So yeah. they, there has been no. Okay, just come on. Yeah, to clear up the fact that um, she has not reacted to that situation since. Then. Okay. Not in the slightest. <laughs> um, and on the other hand, we know she doesn't care about her sister. So would she be super excited about getting a new uh, a member of the family? I mean, in theory, yes. But like her reaction was so dulled, like it was slight excitement. And we just I that didn't track with Sarah for me. Like we like you said, rabble girl. She either would have been over the moon about it or the completely the opposite where she was just there to shush i was expecting i would have expected her to make it about her mm-hmm. yeah um yeah uh, i like i would i would have been like okay yeah you're mad that makes sense but her being fine about it i was like i, I <laughs> fine fine <laughs> but i'm like i at, why do i why would i rather see you be mad that makes more sense to me <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i know I, I know last week jordan drove was mad but like he wasn't wrong when he said why are you making this about you i think that has been i don't know whether the writers did that in a self or fashion but i do think that has been one of the big issues of the season sarah reacts based on what it means to her and how it affects her and doesn't take other people's feelings into account and considering they literally called her out for that last week in a storyline that Jordan was wrong. So, okay, it had to look like it would blow back on Jordan and not Sarah. So how did we get to this point this week when she's totally relaxed, chill? Yeah. She is... No, nope. Keeping that one in the draft. <laughs> I'm going to unleash a draft. Uh, but like, I just feel like... It would have been more in character for her to roll her eyes instead and go, oh, of course you knocked her up. Mm-hmm. Like, that would be like, I'm not going to be... 50. She would have said something out of pocket and she would have <laughs> like, had to apologize by Act 5. Like that And then Sophie sense. would have been like, Sarah instead. And that's just good. You know, Mom wanted, like, especially if she knew that Lana had wanted another child but wasn't able to, like, would have went out of the mouth. Just yeah, I, upset I, Like, she would have... She could have been Lana's mouthpiece in that scene. Lana had to do a lot of generous work. She did. I didn't constantly this season. She's constantly having to put on a brave face for the sake of, I'm assuming, her children and her own peace. I don't know. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, when I was watching that scene, I was like, I wish she could say something out of pocket just once because the way that he announced this news was so like why is this not you not giving her the decency of telling her one-to-one you're gonna drop this bomb on all three of them at the same time which it makes sense from a writing standpoint because they had to just keep it moving they had to Mm -hmm. keep it moving because this one scene could have played out in an entire episode with multiple character beats of lana feeling a kind of way and coming around to it sarah making it about her <laughs> and then we would have gotten the proposal like a couple episodes after we deal with this but it just all happened very quickly and i mean honestly thank god because i don't know if i would have been able to sit through episodes of this yeah well because you know they would have done what would have happened is chrissy and um kyle would have told them together or you know would have been excited and sarah would have popped up and like what are y'all why are you what's happening and that's how they would have found out and then you would have lana charging in in the middle of a mayoral crisis but she has to step away from the office because sarah came in the room peace peacemaker peacekeeper (laughs) 
it, I mean, so I guess we should count our blessings that it was like tight. Because like we just they're gonna get like what five minute scenes for for um, exploration, but it leaves Lana to J- to basically like you said you guys said reacting to it like so like we had the attraction with John Henry all season, but the minute she decides to actually act on it, it happens after she finds out that Kyle truly is moving forward because he's having a child with somebody else. And then his public proposal, again, she had to react to that. Like, what is that? Not that he needs to tiptoe around her feelings, but like making a public spectacle of it. They sure they deserve to be happy. And so does Lana. I don't know. It just it. I, I Kyle's it's, choices. I, I couldn't mm-hmm. I'm not on board with him in this episode. The way he behaved <laughs> it's, it's, inherently not wrong, but also inherently not right either. Yeah, it's quite <laughs> insensitive. And I think that tracks with his behavior. I feel like maybe he got giddy over the fact that the, uh, a pregnancy announcement didn't go sideways like he feared it would. So we kind of ran away with it and did too much. But Kyle kind of we know Kyle does too much. I mean, it's like Reed said, it's not wrong. It's also not right of character. The minute Kyle does something, you're like, oh, yeah, that tracks. Um, But at the same time, you're like, I wish he didn't do that in public so quickly. And like, I feel like it was self-awareness in the room with that. We need it. (laughs) The ink wasn't even dry. The ink was not dry on the papers. I don't, time moves weirdly in the show. So if they said it only been like two months, I'd be like tracks that absolutely tracks that that's where we are right now. When we just filed the divorce papers and he hasn't Mm. been with Chrissy that long. Also what he said about Chrissy. I'm like, huh? (laughs) 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 <laughs> like romantic sure but i'm like That's i don't what we know saw. We, yeah i was like what well, did we see this or are we just in the heat of the moment sir she was miserable all season <laughs> for her choices <laughs> literally the last time we saw them he was dragging her for not telling her the truth about superman and i'm like come on um yeah i haven't been on board with that relation we literally said in the premiere you know when they shared that scene in the kitchen together like know where this is going i feel like it's just been kind of predictable ever since they've had every boring typical bland beat um they, they've been miserable they've been shedding they've been keeping secrets um and it hasn't exactly been compelling and i mean like the show does compelling stories so well but this one was just bottom of the heap by the numbers um A yeah coupling of convenience that went so far off the rails just really and truly when i watched the sequence i was like y'all aren't beating the soap opera allegations in this episode i see like it's just my my goodness but like there was one relationship i wanted to work out it was papa lane and not necessarily gretchen but a relationship period that he, he wanted to be in he got to be happy and tell his grandchildren for like 10 seconds that he had found someone by the way i love that he called natalie his granddaughter we're there we're here she's like fully in the the, in the circle and the way that she wanted to be beautiful Mm -hmm. i totally i was like oh he has a girlfriend he's gonna move away that makes sense for season four and then as soon as they stepped in that alley i'm like (laughs) 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 not quite um but i did have a bone to pick with him because like he got on clark's back again about jordan i'm like pick one like are you mad is clark not doing enough or is he doing too much you get you gotta decide mm-hmm. constantly throwing like signals at my man and i'm like we need some consistency sir <laughs> i think i think that's one of those situations where they let the time jump work overtime we did find out it been what 20 something 30 something days since Lack showed up on the porch yeah so 
maybe they were trying to get across that Sam had changed his mind and then he was like, okay, you were right to be hard on Jordan, but this has gone on too long. But, but anything, I know think anything Clark does, he's like, eh. I'm like, stop. <laughs> <laughs> doing <And> his best <laughs> <laughs> the advice I, I get he wants to give advice but you're right it's always contradictory it's always the opposite of what Clark's doing even if he's following that advice um but like I agree it was nice to see Sam happy it was nice to see him at peace and more relaxed but guys what if that's the last time we ever see him like just disappeared in the oh. alleyway you know what I mean um they like gonna happen off screen then and we don't work. know what actually happened all we know is that the took care of him and that they have his ELT to call Superman. Um what does take care of him mean? Until like, Lowe's been doing until... enough though. Don't kill hmm? father. What happened? Oh I said Lowe's has been doing enough though. Oh, Don't yeah. kill her father. Yeah. No, one home. <laughs> Maybe he'll be presumed dead and then he'll we'll find out like season four, episode ten. JK, here he is. <laughs> Maybe well I what I need at least is like an index card with some scratchy writing like Daughter, I'm fine. Or darling, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm just like, in all like the Hawaiian shirts are gone. <laughs> he's just he's like, but I'm on the run. I'll, I'll contact you later. Was it early season two when he finally retired? They had that scene of him on the green screen water out on the boat. And he was like, I'm having the time of my life. Just do that. They're not low commitment there. Um, I hope that's not the last time we see him. I know Sam's been a bit of a contradictory character, but the multiple generations of Leon add such a... Uh, a family vibe to the show like parenthood or something like that it's it's going to be hard without him in general but i don't want to lose him completely especially not if he's killed off that would be awful save him even if it's off screen someone yeah. go find him it means wait he's the head of the freaking dod the US government <laughs> should be like really um launched in an investigation <laughs> we'll be we'll, season four will start with a six-month time jump clark will still be battling doomsday in space and we'll still not have found sam then but clark can't just like can he just like listen really hard to see if you can hear him? Yeah, not in space, right? Like he's far, he's too far away. I mean, he's on. Yeah, what is that? Well, I mean, million like when miles? he comes when he comes home, I'm assuming Clark's gonna. Oh, okay, yes. Yeah, return home yeah. at some point. Um, although he he couldn't hear Lex throughout those thirty days, even though he was in that train station. Is it soundproof? I don't know. Um, but yeah, unless they're holding Sam there, maybe he won't find him. I don't know. But um, it's going to be interesting to see how they write him out, especially with all the supporting characters as well. The fact we got so much attention on them in the season definitely felt like they were working overtime to try and wrap it up. Sorry, this is so much attention on them in the season finale. Felt like they were working overtime to wrap their stories up because yeah, they didn't like, get that in the season. Yeah, there's like, <clears throat> you could see how they, the way these stories go, how they could be written off. Mm -hmm. Say that quietly. <laughs> yeah, but also it felt weirdly like we were building towards a Metropolis season anyway, though. Yeah. Yeah. That was the fans' theory that we'd moved in Metropolis. I liked it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, but there's an issue with it now because if we move towards Metropolis season, John Henry and Natalie would still be there. And the point is that we need to make the rest of the supporting cast supporting. Um, so it would make sense for the cats to move to Metropolis to battle Lex and Doomsday if he's still around, but keep the Smallville regulars in Smallville. That's true. But if they decided to do that, like move them to Metropolis, they might pull a soap opera thing where like someone leaves and they're just always in the basement. So like John Henry would be like, because he has his own workshop. Oh, he's in the workshop. John Henry's working on this. Like, and you just don't really see John. Mm -hmm. he, someone just presents them with whatever John's new design is. So you just never see him. I mean, they did that with the bold and beautiful thermos in the basement for geez, like seven years. He's just like, what's that? And he's in the basement. He's working on the designs. Like that was like every time he was brought up. 
Are we going to have to do that with every character, though? That's going to be the awkward one. <laughs> no, that oh. is in class. <laughs> Exposition. I hate it. <laughs> what, did you, what did you say, Reed? Left you because Lana's in Hawaii. <laughs> Just a mess. I, I do. So, okay, season four predictions before we move on to Gotham Knights. What do we think we're getting and what do we hope we're getting? I don't know. Michael, you can have this one. <laughs> At the top of the wish list, I hope we get the supporting cast in some kind of role. I know we we love to hate them and we hate to love them, but they're an important part of the show and that's what makes this show different. So I hope we get to see that. It's going to be interesting. We know not the cast's not the only thing getting cut. The budget is getting cut and now they need that budget more than ever if the Doomsday on screen. So will Clark kill him very quickly? Will we find out a way to stop him? I feel like we only brought Lex in in this season to launch Doomsday. I feel like Lex will be the big bad of season four going forward, not Doomsday. So either he'll be in a bunker for the whole season and then finally come back out at the in, in the final episode or whatever. But um, I feel like we're going to get the most Superman-centric season yet. We're going to have Superman at Lois Lane battling Lex Luthor and then a little bit of time for the rest of what's makes Superman at Lois special in between. I think that's good. Like Reed said, the whole, like, if it's in more of Metropolis, it gives it more of an exciting grown-up kind of feel. I hope they do something to make season four different in a good way because it's going to be different maybe in a lot of bad ways. But I feel like this could be the most Superman movie-like season we see yet, and that's quite exciting. I just hope it maintains the heart. It gives Lois a lot to do. It gives the boys a lot to do. Um, and that the supporting characters that do return are used rightly because we had a lot of them as regulars this season and they weren't used right. I hope we get to see that in, in a guest capacity, in a recurring capacity, whatever it may be. But after that finale, I could not be more excited for season four, and the wait is going to be a painful one. Very, very painful. Oh my goodness. I um <laughs> I have on my wish list what I want, and it's based off this line that Lex said to Clark before Doomsday rocked his whole life. Uh, it was um he said, You're a fool in a cape and a dog on a leash. And I was I was like, Are you trying to say he's Lois's dog? Like like <laughs> in, her dog is out of commission because he's on the moon, which would mean he got what he wanted, right? He moved he moved the chess pieces so they can get directly to the queen. I would very much like this to be. A, um, a battle of wits and like investigation between Lois and um, Lex. She needs to figure out how to put this man back in jail correctly and mm -hmm. fix the mistake she had made, which was again, not her fault, which was that he had been in prison for the wrong thing. She needs to pin a crime on it. She needs to get a crime that will be pinned on him. That's actually a crime he committed to put this man back into a supermax. Yes. Yes. That's what I want. Like, so I really would love, an investigative season. Is the CW good at investigative reporters? <laughs> no, they don't have a strong track record. But hopefully there's someone in the writer's room who is great at that. And that is what like maybe the first half of the season is about. Yeah, love that. Lex is Lois as villain, and it's up to her to defeat him. I know he's Superman's arch enemy, but there's a lot riding on this version of Lois and this version of Lex. I hope we can see plenty of that next season. Fingers crossed. But um, moving into Gotham, because at least me and Mead didn't out of context watch. Rob Michael has all of the context. So, Michael, we'll start with you. Since you know how the season went, how did you feel about the series finale? I really enjoyed the series finale of Gotham Knights. I have to say, this show has been... Um, a little joy. I didn't expect to like it as much or get attached to the characters as much as I did. Um, and the penultimate episode was fantastic. So I was really hoping the finale would kick things up a notch. I didn't know if I was going to like it when they were imprisoned from the very start. I was like, how are we going to get out of here? Because I will say a lot of the first act was some standing in a jail cell talking. Um, and I was like, 
the owls are in the house. We need to get a move on. Come on, do something. And we got there in the end. Um, and it really, it did kick, it did kick into gear. I loved the fight scenes. I loved the whole, we're the Gotham Knights scene. That was awesome. Um, the Court of Isles proved to be a great villain. Um, and of course, we finally got Two-Face. That's basically the, everything that happened in the finale in a nutshell. I thought it was a solid way to end the season and an excellent setup for a second season, which makes me very angry we're not getting one. Um, because it was almost the perfect finale, but there was enough teases in there to make you want to continue the story. And now we're not going to get it. But aside from all of that, it was a great roundup to what has been a pretty solid first season. They were all dragging Gotham Knights in the comments. They weren't willing to give this show a chance, but she shone brighter than they were willing to admit. And I feel like this show has got cult classic written all over it. That's my two cents. How have you guys felt about it? watching it out of context. One of the things I noted that I remembered from the pilot was, you know, they were all in different formations, you know, but they had to come together. And it felt like where they ended up in this episode as a group of chosen family, whatever you want to call it, felt really earned, even though I had 11 episodes of Missing Context. I just where they ended up felt very like, okay, yeah, I can see how they, they have all gotten to this place emotionally and how they feel for each other that was one of the big things that i noted especially in the end when they spoiler alert i don't know we don't usually talk about the show so i don't know <laughs> what we should say or not say but when they presume turner dead um the way that they react to that and they're plotting you know what they're going to do next and but then they end up coming back together it felt like it was really earned, even though I hadn't seen anything. Like it just felt natural and organic and it didn't feel like out of place for her to be like, Turner would have done this. And I was like, tell him. Yeah, that feels right. <laughs> <laughs> for me, I really enjoyed it. Like I I knew that um, through you, Michael, that the show had improved as it, as it was progressing through its season. But I was watching and I was like, wow, that's it really did improve. I like it was just super solid to honestly really great. I thought that like you read, I the rapport was awesome. Like you could really tell that they had spent time developing those relationships that when they're snarking at each other, when there's banter, when um uh, what is is that Cullen? Cullen is like, yeah, we know that you're together and, and Harper and uh what is name? There's not so Stephanie. 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 That you do? He's like, oh, yeah. And Connor said the same thing. Turner. Turner said the same thing. I just feel like, I don't know, I felt like they had really earned where they got in the the spot of the series finale. And I really enjoyed the the fight sequences too. Having come off, started watching FBI, where every time I watch an FBI episode, I'm like, they're really, really floating next to this TV 14 rating. And so watching Gotham Knights, I was like, Gotham Knights is in the same school, I guess, because we're really floating with this TV 14 rating. The severed head that just rolls on the screen, I'm like, okay, not typical to the CW, but I'm not mad is at that, it. Is that the second time that's happened? Or no, yes. that was in the pilot, that was in the pilot, right? Yeah. yeah. Or was that, did Superman and Lois do that too? No, I don't wait. I, I don't know. I feel no, like the, you know, with the, the pilot of Gotham Knights and it with the tablet oh, okay. slashing someone's head. Um, yeah, it's just a lot of violence, this, right? This yeah, <laughs> I, I literally said about last week's Nancy Drew when the heads fell, I was like, This isn't real because this show wouldn't do that. Meanwhile, Gotham Knights is out here rolling heads and like bowling balls, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
this, we like our Batman content edgy. I don't know whether we needed it that edgy, but yeah, the show, uh, it definitely felt like it came together like a well-oiled machine. Back to the dynamics, I completely agree. It's been lovely watching them. I think that's been my favorite thing about it. The, the pilot was like lost in the DC mythology of these people who killed Batman. And you're like, they're teenagers who have no fighting skills. How do you think they killed Batman? The GCPD was stupid. We had to like, believe that and then move on but um the if the fact that they really did come together they learned how to fight they they, they grew to be great friends and then of course the uh, turner and duella um starting a mini relationship um which is kind of like they kind of just found each other because they were totally themselves around each other even though she didn't really care about anyone um of course there was the um the ploy on batman's son and the joker's daughter getting together um but like they really did become they were like they weren't billed as like star-crossed lovers we know turner had a thing for stephanie throughout most of the season because she was his lifelong best friend um and we knew duella didn't care about anyone and then yet by the end of the season they're all they really care about they they really became one of the most uh cute uh, dynamics that was really easy to get behind i love them i would have watched a whole season of the two of them um and that when he when she was like you came back for me and he was like not offended that was a line she had said uh, earlier on when they first got together because uh, he was like you're just yourself and you don't get offended by anyone and she was like no I don't and then he was like you're so selfish not offended he's like you're so this not offended so it was really like a nice fulfilling moment that he threw not offended back at her um yeah I really I really would have loved to have seen a, a whole season full of just the the group dynamics because that was my favorite part about it if even if this wasn't a DC show it wasn't set in Gotham City and it was just about these random group of her heroes in the making I would have loved every minute of that and I thought the more Gotham Knights embraced that and the more it moved away from the Batman mythology because it was never going to live up to that the more it moved away from that the better it got and I'm glad we got to see a lot of that in the finale because uh the characters were what made it for me and it was funny too. I, I love the interrogation scenes. Um, one, it reminded me of uh, that the third Tom Holland movie, which the name is Away From Home. Is it Away Far From Home? Away From Home. No Way the, Home. No Way Home. There we go. Because um, I think that one starts, you know, where it, it, he and his friends are getting interrogated about like him being yeah. good. And that reminded me a lot of that where you have kids being in, uh, interrogated by the police. And I love the scene with, I think that's either, it was Turner. I'm sorry, because this is out of context, I'm like trying to fit names where they're supposed to be and it's like not <laughs> working. But there's a scene with one of the teams where the officer is like, so you were framed for that killing and this killing here. And then she framed you for that one. And this one too, is that what you're trying to tell me? You've just been framed for multiple murders. That's just, and he's like, yeah. And she's like, no, try again. No one's framed <laughs> this much. <laughs> and then when it was at uh, Collins book I was like we didn't kill anyone but then the talent came after us so Turner cut its head off and we had to kill him and they're like wait so there was a murder committed so <laughs> so so funny um, but yeah I, I feel like considering you guys were watching out of context I think that was a good way of catching people up on what happened throughout the season there are some of these shows that get quite clunky with the exposition but I thought that was a very good tool to do that because you did pick up a lot of information very very quickly of course I know you had previously to like lead you in as well but like uh, this was the moment they've been avoiding all season they did not want to get caught by the cops and they finally got caught by the cops and then the court of isles came after them in the gcp day so uh it kind of it was very fulfilling and then that uh police officer that uh colin ultimately saved he was a uh, 
one of their dynamics throughout the whole season was that Colin was masquerading as a police officer and him and that officer kind of formed a bond. So now when that officer was like, wait, he's been a fugitive this whole time and not a real police officer, then Colin had to step up and save him. We got a lot of great dynamics like that. And of course, Carrie Kelly, a.k.a. Robin, and her mom, uh, that was another important one this season as well. And you saw in the end, she finally accepted her being a... Uh, Robin, she finally accepted that she was a vigilante and that Gotham needs a hero in the wake of Batman's absence. So it really, it did, it did come together really, really well. That fight scene was incredible. Um, and then, of course, the fact that they all had to work together to defuse the bombs. You're like, would Duella really be willing to save herself or say, uh, sacrifice herself to save the city? And then the team had to have faith in her. That was that's very Batman having the faith in the people. We saw that in the Dark Knight, where Batman had the faith in the people even when the gun was pointed to their head. Um, yeah, I really, really loved it. I really loved the characters. I really loved how the finale played out, and that it was a good way of defeating the Court of Isles. I also thought it was a solid adaptation of the Court of Court of Isles because they all were ultimately the big villain that the show was trying to keep a surprise in the end, and it really came together. The other big villain that was in the finale, of course, was Two Face. Um, and I do want to talk a little bit about that. I remember on this podcast when we first saw that Duella was announced and we said that the character is called the Joker's daughter. I went on a bit of a rant saying, well, in the comics, we actually she shows up as the Joker's daughter. Then she's the Riddler's daughter. Then she's somebody else's daughter. And it turns out in the end, she's actually Two-Face's daughter. And in the end, that's exactly what we got because she was Harvey Dent's uh, da- daughter. She was a secret daughter. What did you guys make of Harvey Dent? Because I know we did say in the, in the premiere he was kind of bland. He didn't mm-hmm. have much to do. And now we got to see both sides of Harvey before he ultimately became Two-Face. What did we make of that? Was that the first time? The first time you saw him as Two-Face? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, he's had the internal demonic pers- uh, personality in his head, but that's the first time he's ever we've ever seen him come face. out. Yeah, and then he got the fist burnt. Yes, um, I don't. I don't really have any big notable thoughts. No, oh, okay. For me, I was like, he is more than beautiful wool coats. Because I believe the uh, in the when we did the review for the premiere, I was like, I don't know, I'm not feeling it. But he had some lovely coats, and so, <laughs> <laughs> and so now I'm like, oh, he. I actually I really enjoyed uh, the sequences between Harvey and Duella. I, because out of context, I was like, did, did he earn that dad scream from her mm-hmm. when um when she's I was like, didn't she just find out? I feel like we're doing a bit too much, but you know, time was quick ticking. She was attached to Bob. Maybe the emotion is what got her there. But I thought it was interesting. I think Misha Collins did a really good job of that switch. I didn't quite I like I loved how um what does she say? Wes, I'm just gonna play a piano. Like I'm hit a right key and then you're gonna turn. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're saying? He's like, no, I can just close my eyes and do it. And I was like, wait, whoa, hold it. Did this get to, <laughs> this get said in previous episodes? You mean you can? He, he closed his eyes and he hummed for a bit, and then there he <laughs> face was. <laughs> that was so confusing to me. He, like even in context, that was so bizarre because we Harvey find out that he has this personality disorder and this evil twin inside his head, and they he actually he. He took um, an overdose of a medication at one point so that he could have like um, a dream where he interacted with his other half because that was the only way the two of them could be in the same place at the same time. And Harvey literally killed his other half. So then when he was like to do well, I can just close my eyes and he could come out. I was like, wait, I thought he was dead. Obviously, I knew he was going to turn into Two-Face at some point. But I was like, where did that come from? But yeah, Nomisha Collins did a great job with the switch because he didn't have an awful lot to do with Harvey in the first episode. But Harvey has really become one of the most compelling parts of the season. So it was... It, 
it's a bit predictable they left the two-faced twist right to the finale because we're not going to get to see him be two-faced now and that's hugely disappointing um i feel like that would have gotten more buzz and it would have been a great way to tell the story because we never got to see that and, and we never got to see any main batman villains in the show before so that would have been cool it's disappointing we're not going to get to see it but the the makeup was very convincing i know some people didn't like the fact that his face was in two colors but like nevertheless it was very convincing it was kind of terrifying um and it's realistic though it was very realistic it. like it's still pink it's just not like it's not technicolor which it yeah. didn't really need to be. I mean, I liked how they did it too, uh, with him getting into the altercation with the lead of, of the Court of Owls and her just smack. I don't know why that vial of acid was up there, but she just went and smacked him in the face with it. I I enjoyed him. I, I really did. I also like that uh, both of them are now Duella's dad because he pulled a gun on her mom for leaving her like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so basically she has an unhinged father. And yeah. she has a nice, kind one, which fully fits for Duel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it did kind of come together because he, he, that Harvey didn't look like he cared about her. He was like, hello, kid in the chair, push the button. He didn't have any kind of compassion for her. But then you did see in the end, he did have his own twisted kind of compassion for her. He, he, I don't think he would have let her take the rap for that if your woman from the Court of Isles wanted her to. He's odd like that. But again, that was he's such a unique personality. Most versions of Two-Face have him kind of go a little bonkers after he gets burned. This one took the old animated series, one of having him have the split personality before he gets the scars. So then that's kind of like the manifestation of him. And it really paid off really, really well. I'm really, I would have been so excited to see him in the second season. I'm so angry we won't get to see that. Yeah, I definitely... Um... I I hadn't seen anything until this except for the premiere in episode two. And I was like, wow, I feel like writing. Like, I know they said don't do that. But I did. I felt it. I was like, I'm not going to hashtag save anything. Uh, I wouldn't anyway, even if they hadn't sent out that letter. But my goodness. I mean, it was really it was really fantastic. I also have a question. This is my turn to ask about the canon. Was that League of Assassins at the end? interesting um i don't think so um but i know why you think it might be so the person who tur- saved turner and ultimately trained his parents was called henri ducard um and in the comics henri ducard is one of the people who trained batman um and turned him uh, was able to allow him to be the great detective that he was but also the great fighter we saw all of that most people know henri ducard from batman begins because uh liam neeson who plays raz al ghul ultimately takes the name Henri Ducard beforehand before he reveals himself to be Raz al Ghul um, so that's where as soon as everyone heard that they were like oh it's the Batman Begins villain it's the Batman Begins villain but yes no in the comics Henri Ducard is, he's, he's not part of the League of Assassins he's completely separate from uh, Raz al Ghul and, and the League um, but yeah he also trained Batman in his early days and the reason Batman parted ways with him was because he was kind of training criminals as well and part of a criminal operation which is why it would have been so interesting to see him train turner for season two because my big gripe with this show is that yes turner did fencing in uh, school he knew how to handle himself with a sword but like no one taught these kids combat lessons in the way that they should not be that talented so by this time season two came around they all would have been we would have had more action we would have had more fight scenes and turner probably would have been a vigilante almost as good as batman so it's a shame that we'll not get to see that um and i i was ready to riot as well it was a great scene um it was a perfect series finale except for that at the end if turner had just reunited with the gang and they had the typical 
our work isn't done kind of sequence. That would have been a perfect way to end the show. But now we're left wanting more in all the wrong kinds of ways because we're not going to get it. I know. Phil's kind of Batman season four. (laughs) You know, I still kind of love that ending where it's like the show will go on. They're going to keep doing stuff. There's no ending. I kind of love that. Um, But it is it's so unfortunate to see a series that has so much potential. But timing just was not on its side. If this had been on the CW five years ago. Even the year prior. Mm. Yeah, like we could have been on for six seasons. Like this would have been a huge show. And I do think it'll age well. I think it'll be that, like Michael said, a cult classic. It'll be the one that still gets brought up and like lists about DC shows 10 years from now. And while I, I don't really know or think that it would come back in this exact form. I think it's a story that will probably be told again, just because they did it well, they did it against all odds. And it seems like it, it'll, it'll have some cult staying power. Mm -hmm. I could see them doing a comic or something in the future based on that. Um, And the fact they've now adapted Two-Face means it will live on forever. Every time you rank Two-Face adaptations, he'll be part of it. Um, Michael will make sure of it. I will. I get a high <laughs> ranking too. Um, but yeah, um, it's been a, it's it, the little, like Legends of Tomorrow. It became the little show that could it surprised people at defied expectations, and it got better the more it moved away from its original concept. And I mean, as a show, it evolved so much in just thirteen episodes that you can't really ask for more than that. And I understand why people why are asking for more than that. But yeah. It's been, a, it's been an enjoyable journey with Gotham Knights. I wish it had more, but I'm very proud of what it ultimately achieved in the end. People were putting it down. People didn't expect it to be the, the entertaining show that it was. And, you know, after that first trailer, it needed a miracle somewhere along the way. The trailer yeah. wasn't good. It wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> the show um, was, though. That's all that matters. Yeah, exactly. And I do, I do stand by everything we said about the trailer when it was first released. It wasn't a good trailer. It did the exact opposite of what a trailer is supposed to do. It made people not want to watch the show. But I stuck with it and I enjoyed it. The pilot was better than the trailer and the rest of the series as it progressed. Awesome. I couldn't have asked for anything more other than a season two. But aside from all of that, yeah, Gotham Knights came and it conquered and it had a good time while it did it. And I don't think we could have really asked for anything more as fans than that. Oh, and they went to Tom Swift's house. I forgot. They did. They did. Yes. That's like the one thing that I was like, ah. I know that house. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it from like the the stone driveway. I was like, oh. I've seen this before, and then the facade. Of the, I was like, yeah, we've been here before. <laughs> but like that that clocks the fits Tom Swift, another great short lived show mm-hmm. on CW. Yeah. Oh, congrats well. to Gotham Knights though for um, you know what proving them wrong because <laughs> mm-hmm. it really she really did <laughs> did what she had to do. Now we leave the DC universe <laughs> and we move to Hershey Bay, Maine, which I'm be real honest with everybody who's listening and watching. The plot was doing its thing. We were not exactly following the plot. Well, we, a lot we was happening. A lot was going on so quickly. <laughs> yes. So, like, if we don't have the name of the device that that um, honestly, I, I don't even know how to describe it. Yeah. Rundle, Rundle, Run, Rundle. No, it's not that, that cursed compass stick. <laughs> <laughs> Let's call it that. <laughs> yes. More syllables, but easier to remember. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we don't have the name for the cursed compass stick. And I don't, but we do, we were. So this was not a case of the week. It was, we finally delved fully into why the bodies had been, had 
become zombies and what what started trying to figure out exactly what is up with um all of them being in their what are they before 30 are they just turning 30 they're all younger than something they never made it to 30 i think Okay. And so we had the big board, like we're all, it's all hands on deck for the Drew crew. And I was trying to figure out what's going on. There's some etching on teeth that, which by the way, and I know I tweeted this, but I cannot, like, if that was my foot, if I got a tooth in my foot during the investigation, I am no longer investigating. (laughs) She needed to go to the emergency room. Right. She did. Like, like, it punctured her foot and she could have gotten some of that water into the wound. And I know I, thankfully they didn't make anything of it, but me as an adult viewer, I'm like, is she okay? Is her <laughs> foot okay? Is she going to get like gangrene or something? I'm like, <laughs> Bess, are you all right? <laughs> they just popped that tooth right out of her foot and we went on. And I was like, no, 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 no. It had thick spikes. Yeah. It really yeah. messed her up if it was stuck. It, it was lodged in her foot. <laughs> <laughs> They just, the pressure like, on the wound, anything. <laughs> and for them, it was a day ending and why? And I'm just like, no, 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 no. Did mm. we need to, did she get, uh, we have antibiotics on deck? What's happening? Medical attention. <laughs> <laughs> Even if she performs some kind of spell to close the wound. I know, my goodness. I, it's, like, it's not really like important closure, but like, I'm glad that we all kind of like. <laughs> <laughs> this should be more serious. That. Yeah. <laughs> I know. But okay, so, but the, there's etching on the teeth. Um, and I guess it's they grew the etching grew onto the teeth and it somehow is connected to some skulls. Jude skulls. See, this is what I meant. What the plot was plotting. My, my, I'm not there with it, but there when the university so fast about everything, and I was like, oh, ping pong. I'm trying to listen to you guys, <laughs> but I'm like zoning out for no reason. But I like there was so I know there's so much that I missed in these conversations they were having. It's another one of those episodes where they just like drop you in. Mm-hmm. remember that one time i told you guys that i was watching an episode and i was like i missed an episode and it was like yeah. no they just really went they just <laughs> dropped us right in the middle of it <laughs> that's what this felt like because it was just like oh okay let me okay i didn't know we were really <laughs> starting off on full tilt full pedal on the gas yeah um when the when nancy said we need a dentist i was like aha i know where this is going and then we got a nice scene between George and her dad and it started really nice. And suddenly that exact scene was also the one that just started spouting all this information. I tell you, I blinked and I was like, wait, why are they at this new college? What are they looking for? I completely went over my head. I probably should have been paying more attention, but I was kind of hoping we'd get more from the George and her dad scene from that sequence. So I wasn't expecting all the supernatural mumbo jumbo to come at me that quickly. And then suddenly we were at college and they were trying to, uh, go into a dark room and look at skulls, which also had the markings on the teeth. Yeah. And then suddenly it became all about the Randall and this guard suddenly had all this information. Randall, I just said it. I think that's the word. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the closure of the George and Edwin, I almost said Eugene, that story is she gave her 30K and she's going to get uh, twice a year teeth cleanings for free. Like that was it, right? Like they Mm -hmm. kind of found closure. Yeah, they did. I mean, I he they... He showed up and I was like, I don't really want you here, but if you're going to be here, what are we doing? Um, and then, um, <laughs> like, and then it really did start to spiral. And I was like, wait, no, I had, I had a grudge. And now I had to like really pay attention to what Edwin is saying. And what I was not paying to what you were paying attention to what you were saying. And, uh, it was a lot of information about how 
he'd went to college there, I guess, or he'd been to that college before and he had seen those skulls, which I was like, that's a great memory because I know it had, they had markings on them, but how long ago was that for you? I don't know if I would remember all the things I had saw when I attended college, even if it was in a very creepy room. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But he was also, I don't, did y'all feel like he came out of nowhere with the I want to spend time with you thing? Yeah, it was like, oh, you needed a dental favor while I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> and then he got really, like, intimidated by Ryan. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, he also wanted to, like, he was like, oh, Nancy, too. Like, our dad was 18. And I love George being like, what, you want to join a club? You want to start a club? Was he kind of trying to reach for the fact that, like, Nancy had a strong relationship with her father who was young? But there was also clearly some friction there. So he thought, oh, wait, I can do the same thing with George. Maybe that's where it came from. Because if I, if I recall correctly, he did want to have her in his life, but she didn't want him. That's how it ended the last time, I believe. Um, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, like, I don't not buy the fact that he would be like, since I'm here, can we spend some time together? Because he knew she needed him at that moment. But yeah, it just, that was an important storyline. And I feel like, it was dictated by the plot of the episode, if you know what I mean. Yeah. They had they had to do and be exactly where the plot wanted them to be. And they're like, let's solve this mystery together, force them into speaking. And of course it happened. And that's, that's, that's normal. These kind of stories do get forced by things like that. But at the same time, I just kind of wanted a little bit more emotional weight. That last scene was kind of brilliant, but it took quite a while to get there. And we were just avoiding it up until that point. Just didn't land for me in the way I think they wanted it to. Yeah, I mean, I get, I, you know, stepping back out of it, it is lovely for George in the sense that, like, she will have her father in her life in some capacity, even if she is dictating what that is like. But in both sequences, George, what happens with George is forced upon her. Like, her dad being there is because they need him, and Nancy is like, we need a dentist. Like, he's coming, whether you want him to come or not. And then um, and then you have Bess doing the speed dating so that she can get the money she needs to, in order to uh, pay for the semester. By the way, Bess was overcharging because what the hell is 1999? I would have left so quickly. What? <laughs> <laughs> Did it even come with a meal and a beverage? I don't, she said two drink minimum. Okay, but the, was there? Do, are you serving? I, I have I have no idea. <laughs> when she said nineteen ninety nine, I was like, "Come again? <laughs> it better be quality." <laughs> I know. But I guess she's like, "Look, we need to get this money fast." And if you want, if you are single and you're ready to mingle, come down to the claw. Like, and so that's exactly what they did. But I kind of wish, you know, that there had been more, with exception to her just deciding to take her father's thirty thousand dollars. Which the hesitation there, I know she's prideful, but it's thirty thousand dollars. And the man was not in your life anyway. Take the money. But the, um, the I, I wish she'd had a little bit more agency in the plot. Since like, she was forced to hang out with her father, which did grow their relationship. She was forced to do the speed dating. Well, yeah, forced to because Bess did it without telling her. She just arrives and, and there's speed dating um, shenanigans happening. And she gets money from it. And I mean, it is a way in which she's allowed to be helped by her friends. Though that wasn't Nancy's reason for doing anything. Nancy just needed to solve the case. But Bess really mm-hmm. wanted to um help George. I and but Nancy. it was and Nancy. <laughs> Bess is not being team nice lately. Um, which is interesting 
to me as the one yeah. she's his platanker. But like she saw them like not really. It was awkward over there. I she, the, I love that scene where it's it's Ace and Nancy talking in the woods and and uh, Bess is right in the middle. She's like, oh, it's bad over there. It's awkward. I, I'm gonna shuffle this way, but I'm still paying attention. And it is awkward yeah. over there. It's it's an interesting uh, plot point that isn't really overtly mentioned because she was the, the like the the agent of mobility for Nancy and Ace. She was like text her, and then I mean I can't. I'm sure she bugged Nancy about it too, but she really was on Ace's case about it. Um, and now she, I guess it comes from a place of being a friend, seeing them in pain around each other and be like how can i fix this obviously them being together isn't an option right now so let's get nancy out there mm. which is clearly the last thing she needs from this episode at least because she girl was uh going through it quietly yeah, looked amazing and, and but she it. yeah <laughs> but she's a mess at the at the speed dating life story just on the table for all she called the guy your... Craig, and he's like, "Marcus." <laughs> he said it's right on the tag. <laughs> she just refused to read. <laughs> and then we we'll pivoted back to that awkward question. What was it? Do you do? I don't even know what. Oh, paddleboarding. Yes, oh, wait, do paddleboarding. Um, <laughs> just a, no reaction. <laughs> no, I, poor Nancy. I think I do agree with you, Reed. I think it is that. I also think I wonder. You know, Bess doesn't have a lot of family. You know that she feels tight with selfishly are we like look he's my potanker and i love y'all but i'm not gonna let him die because you want to experiment with this curse once we have because yeah. she said to choose someone she's like yeah to go out with someone who you know is not cursed and i was like oh that's very harsh okay mm-hmm. sure but it also it does feel true to nature with best because she always likes people around her to be happy and fun and have a fun time or whatever so she distracted them with fun it's not what nancy needed but she they were doing it for george or whatever um so it does feel very in character for best i do i did say i hate when they pair for last but this is one that i feel really really works and at the same time she does care deeply about her friends so she would i understand her not supporting them being together if it would end up in their deaths we're at that stage where we're like oh we had the ultimate stakes. We're not going to uh, do it in case you die. But I'm sure at some point along the line, they'll all be like, yeah, let's try it again and see how it goes because th- I feel like that's where the story's going. But from a natural standpoint, it, it feels right for best to be like that because you wouldn't tell your friends to be together if it would result in their deaths. I know you try with this, the Drew crew, they're trying to find a loophole and whatever and work around that, but they're acting like real people at this point in time. And I can't appreciate that because... They don't want any of them to die. Makes sense. Moving into that, then, uh, the Nace conversation, it seems like Ace is more mature in love than Nancy is. Uh, because when we started the moment in the scene, um, she's obviously angry, but she's like, you're the one who broke my heart. So, like, basically, you don't get to be mad. And it's like, uh, he did tell you you didn't want to do that when you were having that conversation the first time around. And it's also... Like, it's be together or die. Like, I just don't, like, they, like, if you be too, if you decide to be together, then he's potentially going to die and probably die horribly. So it's not like he just decided to, he didn't string you along and just decide to, he didn't want to be with you anymore. So the entry point into that conversation, I was like, girl, are we, 
are we high on love right now? Is that what this is? I know you were at the, she was at the table and she was like, how could you just give up on like the best kiss of your life? Like, and I was like, I don't, that's not what he gave up on. He gave up on the option of dying for that love. Everything that just came to me in this moment is that like, yeah, she's um, obviously heartbroken that she can't be with Ace, but there's, I think there's also a part of her, she has a lot of pride and she failed. She doesn't like failing. Mm. There was a, failure in being together and she's not someone who just gives up and she feels like ace just gave up when it's like perhaps the stakes are too high and we need to take a beat and Mm -hmm. just find a way to be alive um but she like she it goes against her spiritual belief system of giving up um i mean i i don't know if i'm reading too far into it but that was just when you were saying that it was just something that came into my head in that scene where she's so like full of anger and desperation still and mad at him for giving up after their failure um but i think i will say that thinking about that scene between them um regardless of anything else i think it's one of my favorite kinds of scenes where like they each have their own perspective their own feelings both can be valid and it was like such a successful argument to me it was such a successful scene also because again they act so well together and it was i think well written as well like dialogue wise that sounded shady i didn't mean it that way (laughs) just stating the fact (laughs) um but i think it was for me it was a scene that was really successful that i enjoyed watching and i Mm -hmm. think it's a kind of uh the kind of conflict that me as a viewer i can respect if it makes sense to me and i did kind i liked the they each had their perspective and they're they can't agree but both feel that they're right and they're like how do you not see this from where i'm coming from and i like those kinds of scenes and they found common ground in the end and i think that's why it was so successful because like you said reed they had valid arguments on either side and they did meet in the middle at the end because of that powerful scene um because Nancy didn't like the fact that Ace was working with her as a colleague and Ace didn't like the fact that Nancy was treating him badly or being angry at him because of the decision he made to save both of their lives. And they did, they find the common ground at the end. And it was such a moving scene. And I like the fact that one of them went, was it Nancy went to hug Ace and then he was like, just don't, it's much easier if we don't. And because we did say like, what does acting on your feelings entail? Does that include any kind of physicality at all? Um, and they're still dancing around that because we don't know the specifications of it. But uh, they covered that so well because Ace didn't want the hug because it would have been too painful. Just like he had to get out of the room last week when, or two weeks ago when he said that because it was too painful to be there. He needs time and he needs space. And of course that hurts Nancy. But at the same time, she finally understood why. And I did. It was such a subtle thing. I liked when we cut back and picked the plot back up. When we cut back to the morgue, they were both just sitting there on the phone as though, yes, they had that moment, but they didn't part ways because they found kind of a common ground now. They'll be able to work together now without having animosity between them. So the fact that it cut back to them at the very end when they were in the morgue together and it just picked up like it, they were interrupted in any old scene. I thought that was very effective because they're going to have to find a way to work together going forward. And it feels like they have now. And I'm really going to drive my theory that we're working in thirds with mm-hmm. uh, or fourths, three episode four. I don't know, whatever. You, I've been squeaking about it all season. So if you guys don't know by now, sorry, I can't <laughs> explain it anymore. But like last week we had like grief avoidance. This week we had conflicts 
sort of like common ground. So I'm like, what is next week going to be? Are we inching toward the next third, which is going to be fourth? It's the fourth, right? Um, three by four. Yeah, yeah. Fourth quarter, one of the other. Again, yeah. I don't know. We're not doing fractions. <laughs> if you follow me, you follow me. So like, are we inching toward the next phase, which everyone is feels looming over us is the other love interests because Hot Lobster Man has been absent. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think if it's not next episode, then it'll be the episode after that. Like if we don't get full blown, you know, we really are leading into our love interests. Um, I think... To just go back to the conversation real quick, I think that this this scene, and I'm thinking about this now as I listen to both of your opinions, that it told them a lot about themselves yeah. uh, and how they uh, conceive of love. Because Nancy has a very uh, romantic idolization of what love is supposed to be. She's, I want to know what the bookshelf looks like. Like, girl, how many desperate love stories have you read? Because she's like... Because he's like, he Romeo mentioned... Romeo and Juliet, I will drink the vial for you. <laughs> yes, it very much was that. And, he, and, she, and, and she's like, you know, you die for love. And Ace was like, that's not what love is. <laughs> like, love is... And he was angry about it, too. Like, just angry in the hurt sense, you know? Like, love is choosing to want what's best for somebody, exactly. even if that's not you. And, like, and because he doesn't feel like they're they're good for each other in the sense of the curse. Not because, like, you know they would actually be very toxic in a relationship, but because the thing, the curse in itself is a form of toxicity. Like, hi, we cannot be in a relationship in which we cannot actually act on our feelings in any way. And we cannot hold on to the idea that maybe if we break it, we can. Because what if we don't? One, that's painful. Two, I, like, he, it would be really hurtful for either of them to lose one another to death. So he just wants to, like, cut it off, like, and find a way to be friends again. I did like that Nancy, this episode also establishes, like, I cannot do that with you. Like, I can't, I, I, maybe we can, and by the end, she kind of sees a way to which they can different up. But before that, she's like, yeah, comics is what it is. Like, I don't even really want to look at you right now. Like, I just, it's really hard because they can, they consider each other to be the love of their lives. Hey, I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And that is what it is in the plot. I, I think we're on record saying that they they tend to do a little bit too much. With we need a little more with that. We need it's okay to admit that. Yeah, <laughs> we just we just need a little more. I know for some of the fans, they don't like if they're fully like here on the page. Yes, love of each other's lives, but like personally, the material, no. like the materials there, the longing and the passion, it's all there, and it works. It's more earned for some fans than not, and it's fine. It's yeah. it's okay. Mm-hmm. but like taking that as how they feel about one another if that is the love of your life then the best thing you can do for that person is let them find love again elsewhere like, it's a hard I, lesson for nancy it is a hard lesson for nancy and i kind of really love that ace already knows it and i have no idea if that like just his conceptualization of his parents who they both come from households in which the love is very apparent in that in, in the house presumably now i'm thinking about him and his 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 dad and his mom and I'm, I don't know if we've clearly seen that all together but let's just assume that that's the case so that is how that's affected their uh their feelings on love and I think that's very mature and I like that he like pulled her into the maturity of we need to be realistic I yeah. I don't know I just enjoyed it 
they enter that that argument like i'm doing this because i love you and she's like but i'm doing i want to do this because i love you and it's like well we have one thing in common <laughs> it's just the <laughs> execution we need to get on board with mm-hmm. and that's a that's a tough disconnect it is which is why you know i know y'all don't want it but like open the door for tristan i want to see it i miss tristan i don't a little crack a, crack a little crack like you can just whisper <laughs> through the door to her for a little bit before she closes it like there's nothing no harm in that yeah i mean just crack the door we're not gonna let too much air out <laughs> come on but so i think i think it's coming i do if if the law of fourths is in this season it's <laughs> it's coming yeah if anything i feel like it'll be a lesson and like oh i can love again but i don't want to you know what i mean like this doesn't mm-hmm. feel the same and yeah i think that's that's an okay thing to explore for her she's young yeah yeah like we're past we've reached the point of acceptance now so i think we're, we're moving into the distraction era and then she'll eventually start feeling things and realize i've got this but this is not what i want before we all ramp back up exactly the final exactly two thirds (laughs) it's my theory and i can't explain (laughs) but we're with you and that's okay (laughs) if we do thirds then it's no it's it's it's, but the three episode chunks is really what's throwing me off yeah okay it's three episodes but there's four because that's the way that i mathed it because i'm not counting the finale it's 12 episodes so three 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 Mm, got it okay so law of fourths that's where we are okay <laughs> what else happened in the episode? So the um we have Nancy being mad at Ryan for reasons for being a uh an artifact collector. I guess maybe potentially just not telling him, just be telling her, just being gone all the time is what she was angry about. There was no real explanation. Yeah, I was confused, but I let her have that one. I was like, mm-hmm. you know what? You'd be mad in peace. I don't need to care about that right now. <laughs> <laughs> but he he came he he was. He came in offshore bank accounts and stuff, though. And even though he did come in handy, I was like, "What are we up to, Ryan? This sounds sketchy. Like yeah. you're you're doing this to, I, I don't I don't know. Like he was trying to come off as like the opposite of the glasses. And I'm like, yeah, offshore accounts. You seem like you're in a tricky spot, my guy. And, and who are his contacts? Because as like, you've been gone for, I don't, I don't know how many um, times in this in the season so far. But you, he's like, I just called somebody, and we, we hooked it up. And I was like, who, whose numbers? Whose numbers do you have? I don't remember this being a part of the plot at any point. And then and how can you like get on the like? Not to, it sounds like I'm dragging him. I'm not. I'm just. I have questions of the viewer. It seemed like he like got on the dark web, and like this is a man <laughs> who can like barely work an iphone i feel like (laughs) like successful as he is like he's more of like a smooth talker in person but like he seems like he's like what is this like he's not like that kind of guy and i'm like i want to see ryan do these things i want to see it not just him talking to that woman and getting the device like i want to see how he's like logging on to the dark web and like (laughs) using fake phone accounts and i don't know i want to see it is this supposed is this supposed to be one of them moments of growth where you look back and like look where he was and then you just remember that a year ago he was still ryan hudson um and he's experienced all of this growth in the year since i'm like well that's a lot of growth how did we get there um and I mean, in theory, I'm proud of the character that he feels like kind of like he likes investigating. Could that be how Nancy picked it up in the first place? Is there a, like the investigation gene in the family? He like he obviously likes this. And he, I, I thought that was a nice moment that the two of them 
kind of connected over that he was like i'm good at this too and then she kind of backed off and she understood that and i was like yeah that's totally fair but i know i do agree i feel like that storyline needs a little bit more not even what's going on behind the scene what's going on in front of the scenes because there's an awful lot of how did he get from out of a nowhere to... yeah exactly <laughs> how did he get from a to b um yeah and i know they've been again it's only been 30 days in season three and there was no no reference to this in season three um and this is what his big like job that he's been going on this consultant job he's been going on about i get the fact that he wants to do it to get one over on the glasses and ultimately take them down and i'm like oh this is interesting where is it going but aside from where it's going it feels like where did it come from in the first place because they could have done a little bit more yeah but i guess it's kind of like when maybe i shouldn't be not ragging but like questioning because somehow nick has contacts in ellsworth himself and, and then I just let that one rock. Maybe it was because it's Nick and I believed it. <laughs> but, like, but speaking of Nick, we did uh, the Red Sea uh, this episode, which was interesting. <laughs> My favorite line in the episode, I think, was an act of best. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was so good. It was like, there's such a little uh, moment, but it was nice seeing Nick, you know, trying to use his relationships in town uh with that officer you know i guess who i guess they have a connection now uh where he's trying to like get the water tested why does no one want to get the water tested like i just just please it is strange that they don't want to i feel like if i was that officer i wouldn't have immediately called him when the water turned on because like plausibly how would he have done that Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm I mean, like, it makes sense in, like, this, this, like, obviously, yeah, like, it's co- a coincidence, but I, I don't know if I would have, like, connected the dots all the way back to him. He was the one in there earlier, like, we need to turn the water off, and then suddenly it's red, but I don't think I would have been like, you did this, because, like, how? <laughs> <laughs> I kind of thought How could that, you prove that? I thought Bess was going to get into trouble with the chief um, because she's been warned not to do any supernatural things. And then turning the water red is quite apocalyptic, let's be honest. And I thought when they did the joke of how Bess got her shoe stuck a second time or something, I was like, is she going to leave something behind there for the chief to find and then accuse Bess of did. doing this? Um, but then the chief was in the episode, nothing happened. So who knows? Maybe it's an ongoing storyline. But yeah, I mean, I'm glad they got the water shut off. I just wonder if like you guys just said, will it come back to bite either one of them too? I thought that the act of best though is so dramatic. Why red? <laughs> like, <laughs> like we there. I mean, I mean, it's like very showy, but it was just like so. We just went full tilt biblical for what we said <laughs> <laughs> to make sure that they could to be able to test this water. I also love when they give us little nods about Ace being Jewish, and we get mm. some like little nuggets about what his household is like. Love that his mom had was very over the top with the cedar. The cedar? Is it cedar or cedar? Cedar, I think. Cedar? Okay, with the, her cedars. As it, yeah, and the frog. I love that they showed us the little frog that's on the table to represent the, the um, like, mm-hmm. I just think it's adorable. I love the little choices that they make in the show. I feel like they, you could tell that they sit around and they talk very deeply about the things that they want to be in scene that give you little tastes of the characters in their home lives. Yeah, it adds a lot of character. Like, it's very ace to be like, oh, here, hold this frog. <laughs> <laughs> And I love to see it, like, not to move back into Naceville, but, like, it was nice to see him still have his personality yeah. amid everything. Because sometimes Nancy can get very, like, 
I don't know, insular and in her head. And even she did have fun parts in the scene, but like to see that Ace is still Ace and quirky and can't help but make weird little jokes and be endearing. <laughs> He's handling it better than her, which is, mm. um, I don't, I'm endlessly intrigued by it. I'm not saying it's about degrees of love at all. I don't want anyone to think that. I just think that it's interesting how well he's handling it, which I guess thinking about how his characterization throughout the seasons, he's a compartmentalizer. Like he's mm-hmm. just really, unless it's like fracturing his understanding of the world, like it did when he saw the, when he found out that the, he has a brother, um, that one he wasn't quite compartmentalizing as well. But there's a lot of things about Ace. I'm like, you really are someone who just like, that happened to me putting it in a drawer going forward. Mm-hmm. He's an enigma, a man of few words. Mm. Yeah. Oh, it's always funny though. <laughs> <laughs> Too true. Um, he always likes to put his head down and get on with things. Whereas I guess it's because we don't see it from his perspective as much. Whereas we know what Nancy's going through. So we always learn that. But I, I think that's why Nancy was so intrigued by us in the first place. We don't always know how, his, how things inside his head work. So it does seem like he just, like you said, compartmentalizes and tries to move on for his own mental health. And in a situation like this, you can totally understand that. Do we know what his birthday is? I'm, I would love to know what his sign is. Does anybody know out there in the world? Put it in the comments. I want to know what, I need to know Ace's chart <laughs> <laughs> immediately. <laughs> Okay, before we wrap up, Nancy, we do have to talk about uh, what looked, I don't even know how to describe that thing, but it was white and it was coming to life and it was very creepy in the woods. Demogorgon? Demogorgon, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. What in the Stranger Things? Yeah, it was different. Mm -hmm. Terrifying, actually. Is that the, they were talking about the black door, right, in that scene and then the monster appeared? Or was the black door in the beginning of the episode? I don't know. Was the they kind of specified that this <laughs> they kind of specified that this was the thing the monster the thing causing all the problems which is interesting to me so is it more than just a beast like it doesn't have a master plan in here was it born out of the sludge i don't really know um it's like you know the way in stranger things the demogorgon was just a sign of what was to come is this like a messenger of a greater evil or is this the big bad itself because it's very going to be a very interesting choice of the big bad itself is like a bloodthirsty monster how do they take that down oh i was getting infant from him monstrous infant, infant. like not like an actual human infant that it turned but more like i was looking down at one point so i don't actually know how he appeared in the woods he's he was just bone cracking a lot and i was like oh you fresh you fresh out of whatever mm-hmm. darkness you crawled out of because I don't know if that thing can go in that baby. Like, I don't, do you have, as if you have sentience? Cause right now what you're giving is, I don't know where I am. And this, all this feels ran away like Gollum though. (laughs) No, he was just like, Ooh, what is this? Who are you gone? And I was like, okay, well. I have no thoughts about, you know, what I did like about that scene has nothing to do about the monster. It was just the way that they choreographed it with like, they were in a line and they slowly became like turned inward they had all of their their angles covered but they were like protecting each other the closer they got to each other but they all i don't know i love that i love that that choreographing of their fear and their concern for each other i like that didn't really have anything to do with the monster though hats <laughs> off to scott wolf since he was the director oh my god he mm-hmm. killed it in this episode the framing of kennedy in the in the speed dating scene was a great shot mm-hmm. A lot of good choices. Yay to him. Like, really, 
encapsulated uh, the fear in that that sequence. I was scared. Mm-hmm. They were scared. We needed to go home immediately. I don't. They just. I will. I did love though that they just didn't run. As like, I, I, y'all have seen so much weirdness that we're just gonna stay here with this thing <laughs> as it fixes it figures itself out. I, I wouldn't even gone with them in the first place, so they're braver than me. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're, they're quite lucky, I will say. This is the second time it happened this season when they saw the bodies in the woods. The bodies, or the zombies, walked the other way. When they seen this creature, they stood and looked at it, and it ran off the other way. The things I mean, come in threes. Next time, they're not going to be as lucky. Yeah, I was like, for being the smart Drew crew, you need to be quick, quick, quicker on your feet. Tristan. Either run, do something. <laughs> it's going to be Tristan. Oh, no, don't yeah. say that. And it has to be because there's that scene in the in the trailer where she's clutching someone who has um, Tristan's hair, but you're not dying and, tonight, and they're in the woods. I mean, there is a slight body count each season, mm-hmm. yeah. so the, de- the demographic might get him <laughs> at least briefly. Sorry oh. to that man. <laughs> oh no, mm-hmm. um, but I think that's that's. I don't think there's anything else in the um, episode. If there is, it did not. I did not retain it. So sorry. That was a fun discussion of a very interesting episode. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, next episode. If there are very important things that we missed, it's going to be even fun. <laughs> the most fun. <laughs> but okay. So before we end, I do want to do some manifesting and those watching and listening, please manifest with us. We've talked extensively and I believe we gave darn near a TED talk about retrospectives in an episode and why we need them. Uh, and if there's one that we're really hoping that we get, it's Riverdale. Um, obviously CW likely is not putting one on, but if they ever, if they decide to put it, I don't know, entertainment tonight, talk to the Riverdale crew. I just, it would be very, exciting to be able to have a Riverdale retrospective yeah the cast has done such a good job doing that for fans on their social media but like I think it deserves more than a more than a season seven montage on TikTok as as beautiful as those are for fans I think we didn't get it for the flash which is disappointing and probably heartbreaking for fans that were there for that near 10-year ride this is a show that really put the CW on the map in its final era and its mm-hmm. last breath <laughs> and to see it go out with the ratings that it's getting and just and if it does go out without any recognition I, like you said I'm not expecting anything from the network at this point but I don't know it just seems like the kind of full pop cultural phenomenon that needs to have a period at the end of its sentence mm-hmm. And a little bit of a celebration. Mm-hmm. This uh, this show has kind of maybe been the CW's biggest global hit ever. I know The Flash was the biggest hit for the CW as a network ever. But Riverdale, I'm telling you, it was in the same conversation as Stranger Things when it first launched. And I know that's because of the global Netflix appeal, but it is it literally became one of the biggest shows in the world. And retroactively, it still is. Yes, a lot of people don't know that it's still on because it kind of fell off a cliff there after the uh, pandemic break. But generally, this has been one of the biggest exports the CW has ever produced, like pop culturally changing phenomenon. Of course it should get some kind of like period like reed said of course it should get some kind of way to buy that and the network should be the one doing it but we're not expecting it but yeah some kind of wrap up because it's been the most strange bizarre and yet successful blend of television we've ever had and it was kind of world changing so i would like to see some kind of 
at least acknowledgement of that, even if it's only 30 minutes, 15 minutes, the show deserves some kind of acknowledgement before it buys out for good. No, please. I mean, the, the costumes alone, like the behind the scenes footage, the um, just talking about the co- the comics portions of it, the musicals. I mean, so much happened in its seven seasons. So for it not to have a retrospective where that's explored and talked about the way the 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 characters change, I'm so sore. I've probably got like sketches of the characters that just have never seen the light of day. Which also to add, this is why I want a coffee table book. Like, yes, in, in Roberto honestly that. deserves it because he has spoken. He he speaks at great length about the show, but I think in various interviews, videos, it can get lost. But I think containing it in one one video, one book. I want to hear about his inspirations behind the choices that he's made in the show. Like, I just want to, I'm a viewer that loves context. I don't love to just be left to my own devices a lot of the times. And I know there are viewers who like go in with their own perspective and that's fine for them. But I'm like, I want to hear what the creator, what was he thinking when he made this specific choice? Like, what was the inspiration? Because it can help me metabolize this better. (laughs) And this is a show that I think as much as it speaks (laughs) <laughs> for itself and its craziness I think it does require a little bit of uh explanation and I think Roberto deserves that because I feel like there hasn't been a teen show that made this impact since Gossip Girl and Gossip Girl as we know has a legacy that will never die mm-hmm. and I don't want to see Riverdale end up being that show that 15 years from now we're like oh do you guys remember Riverdale that was crazy we all went through that like, I don't mm-hmm. want to see it be, like, forgotten or just dismissed as, like, some flash in the pan. Like, they were do- doing some crazy stuff. And how did that, how'd they get away with it? Like, I I want it to be, I want it to have its moment. It, it deserves to go out with a bang. Yeah. Beyond its series finale, which I'm sure will be its own situation. <laughs> I want to be like 10 years from now, standing in a books a million or whatever bookstore is around, uh, hearing teenagers talk about how they just grabbed like their first DVD or whatever thing will have back then uh, that they want to watch the show. I mean, I had that experience with Twilight. There I am, my own business, looking at the mugs. And I'm hearing like 16 year old girls talk about, Did, are you watching Twilight tonight? And because you know what, it went on Netflix, and I'm like, it's been ten years. I know it was it was because it had just been released back onto Netflix, and it blew up because there was a Twilight Renaissance. But it was just fun being like a grown person now to hear a, two teenagers discuss, discussing Twilight and whether or not they were going to read the book or had read the book before. I mean, it's just we are running out of pop culture moments when it comes to teens because they're moving everything to streaming. Once you move things to streaming, mm-hmm. it doesn't have the same resonance, long-standing resonance that, that people have, were used to back in the day. Riverdale might be one of the final opportunities for that because of the way that um, broadcast television is changing. It deserves to be talked about a decade from now, two decades from now. It's, it's like it cemented its place. I want that cement to set. Mm-hmm. It's what it deserves. It deserves the materials, just like all the old shows used to get. The books, the specials, the reunions, the conversations, everything. Yes. Okay, Mole, you're at WB, right? Go talk to them. (laughs) Mole, from our understanding, you got a promotion, so... (laughs) (laughs) Just walk down the hallway for us. (laughs) 
do something. I know. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> that ends this episode of the CW Spiral. I'm Sabrina. I'm Michael. And I'm Reed. Thanks, y'all.